church family, I can hardly think of a time of year that is more busy and hectic than this one. And we really do it to ourselves. We fill it with many good things, with shopping and cooking, with family, with buying and wrapping Christmas gifts, with trying to determine which party we will go to, what part of the family we will see and when we will do it. And it often leads to a lot of stress, maybe even a little turmoil in our homes. It's why of everything we do at Christmas, these Christmas Eve services that we do here on the day before Christmas are probably my favorite. Because our goal isn't to do anything huge. It's not big and flashy. We don't put on a large production for you. Our goal is to sing some Christmas songs, to consider the Christmas story together, maybe to let some children play with fire in a few moments. But to sit in the calm and to be reminded why we celebrate Christmas together. It is because Christmas reminds us that God is with us. That is why we celebrate this Christmas season, that God is with us. This idea, like the old hymn says, that God would be pleased with men to dwell is found throughout scripture. It is one of the meta-narratives of the entire Bible. God dwelling with his people. The story of scripture actually begins with God alone. There are no people. There is only God perfectly existing as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all of eternity past. We're told in the beginning of the Bible that his spirit was hovering over the waters of the deep, of the unformed and unfilled world. There was but God alone in the beginning. And not because he needed to, but because he desired to, he created the universe. Everything that we see, everything that exists, God himself spoke into being out of the desire of his own will. Included in this were humans. The first man and the first woman placed in a perfect garden, a surreal setting where they dwelt with God. They had a perfect relationship with him then in the beginning. They knew the intimacy of walking with God in perfect harmony. But they sinned, driving an inescapable wedge between man and his creator. So from the beginning, we've been left with this question. Could that relationship ever be restored as time passes on and the story of scripture continues to unfold, we begin to see God restore his presence amongst his people. At first, he does this by word to specific individuals in the story. Some generations after Adam and Eve, sin has spread across the face of the globe and God purposes in its heart to destroy that which he had created. But he finds favor with Noah and speaks to Noah, giving the promise of salvation that Noah and his family would be delivered from the wrath that was to come. Generations later, God would speak to a father and then his son and then his grandson, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This time, the, the spoken promise would be that of a blessing to bless one family who eventually would bless the entire world. Later, God would appear to a man named Moses with a promise of deliverance. 
because the people of God were under oppression in Egypt and the time had finally come for God to deliver his people from that oppression and to bring them into the Holy Land. It is on that journey that God begins to dwell with his people. We're told that as the people of God were being led out of captivity in Egypt, that God went before his people as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He instructed his people through Moses to construct a tabernacle, a a mobile temple to be in their midst as they traveled. At the heart of this tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. No other item in all of the Old Testament more represented God's presence among his people than this holy ark. Generations later, through the Lord's king in Jerusalem, David, and then his son Solomon, a permanent temple was constructed representing God with his people. The ark being placed in the most holy place at the center of that temple. But the presence of God among his people in the Old Testament came with a catch because they suffered from the same problem that millennia before had driven that wedge between God and man. The problem persisted, sin. So through Moses and passed down from one generation to the next, the Lord gave to his people what is known as the law. The law was necessary for God's people to experience his ongoing presence because his holiness demanded it. But his people in the Old Testament were absolutely terrible at keeping the law. They abused it. They twisted it, they forgot it, they neglected it, they utterly failed to keep it. And because of their disobedience, the Lord's presence was removed from them. They were conquered and oppressed again by pagan lands and pagan kings, and it seemed as if the Lord had abandoned them. But then, through the prophets, God began to speak of his presence amongst his people in a new way. One of those prophets was the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, who in in a very deep and dark moment in the time of Israel had a vision of the Lord where the glory of the Lord filled the entire temple. And it is in that vision in Isaiah chapter six that Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord to go and preach his word to his disobedient people. In the very next chapter, in chapter seven of Isaiah, we're introduced for the first time to an idea that seems so familiar to so many of us. We've already sung about this idea today. That's the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. An idea that is so familiar to so many of us today is actually fairly rare in the scripture. That word only shows up four times in the entire Bible. Three of them across two chapters in Isaiah chapter 7 and 8. The first mention of Emmanuel ever in scripture is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Isaiah writes, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So this idea that God would dwell with his people began to take on a new form, a prophetic form, one that the people of God could look forward to where God would one day in flesh dwell amongst his people. Years go by, decades, centuries even, until an angel, 
appears to a man in Israel named Joseph who was betrothed to a woman named Mary. This woman who another angel had appeared to her telling her that she would bear the son of God and the same angel appears here to Joseph and tells Joseph to marry her even though she is pregnant. And in that, Appearance of that angel to Joseph, he quotes there from Isaiah 7, telling him that the baby Mary would bear would be Emmanuel, God with us. The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that one day God would come and be with his people. And this prophecy's fulfillment changed everything. Because now the presence of God was no longer a spoken word of promise or an unapproachable flame, a cloud, an ark, or a room in a temple that no one can enter. The presence of God was now a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, born of a virgin in a little town of Bethlehem. The eternal, glorious, all-powerful, ever-present creator of the universe was born so that God could dwell with us, Emmanuel. But why? Why did it have to happen this way? Did it really require, require that God would be, become one of us? When we think about what that truly means, it should boggle our minds that holy, eternally existing God would somehow become one of us. Writing on this subject, the late pastor R.G. Lee writes, what deep descent from heights of glory to the depths of shame, from the wonders of heaven to the wickedness of earth, from exaltation to humiliation, from the throne to the tree, from dignity to debasement, from worship to wrath, from the hails of heaven to the nails of earth, from coronation to the curse, from the glory place to the gory place. In Bethlehem, humility and glory in their extremes were joined, born in a stable, cradled in a cattle trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes of poverty. No room was found for him who made all rooms, no place for him who made and knows all places. Oh, deep humiliation of the creator, now born of the creature. But that descent was the dawn of mercy because we could not ascend to him. He descended to us. Yes, my friend, it was necessary for God to put on flesh and come to us because by no other way could man eternally dwell with God. Why? First, because our sin, that same problem that has existed since the beginning, proves that we are incapable of keeping God's law on our own. So Jesus was born to keep it for us. Make no mistake, you and I would have been no better at keeping the law than the Old Testament Israelites. You and I would have been no better at keeping that one instruction that God gave to Adam and Eve in the garden. We too would have all failed to do so as they did. So Jesus came. God made flesh, born in a manger, raised under the teachings of the Old Testament, keeping the law of God perfectly in our place, doing that which we could not do. So yes, it was absolutely necessary for Jesus to come. But that's not the only reason. Another reason that it was necessary for Jesus to come is because his, the, his holiness demanded a sacrifice for sin that only God himself could offer. So Jesus was born to make that sacrifice for us. 
The Old Testament law established a system of sacrifices to make amends for sin, but they were never intended to be permanent. They were always temporary. But Jesus came to die once and for all, doing away with the sacrificial system forever because his sacrifice is a permanent sacrifice. The Old Testament system was only a forerunner of what Jesus would fulfill and make perfect. So did Jesus have to come for us to be with God? Yes. He had to come and do what you could not do, and that is live a sinless life before the Father. He had to come and do that which no human, no worldly sacrifice could do, and that is make a sacrifice once and for all for the atonement of sin. So hear me clearly today, friend. It is only through faith in the perfect life and sacrificial death of Jesus that you can be saved. It is the only way that we can experience the idea of Emmanuel, God with us this Christmas season and for all eternity. Do you want to be with God for all eternity? then Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way that we can experience the presence of God now and forever. He is the only way, our only hope, because he came to us. For the last four weeks, our church has been lighting the candles of the Advent wreath. And as we've done so, people from our church have been reminding us of things like the joy of Advent and the love of God during this Advent season through the reading of scripture and prayer. And as a part of our Christmas Eve services, we always light the middle candle. The middle candle of the Advent wreath is the Christ candle. It's in the center for a reason because everything revolves around this one idea that Christ is with us. This is what this candle represents for us, that Jesus is in our midst, that he has come to bring God to us, to restore the relationship between God and man. Because of Jesus, we now have access to the one true God. This is what we are reminded of this Christmas season. This is what we come to celebrate today. God with us in the person of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us on our own in our sin, but you sent your only son coming to earth, dying in our place that we might be saved. Father, would we be reminded of that here at this Christmas time, that of all of the other things that surround us during Christmas, would we remember this, that what we celebrate is Emmanuel, God with us. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.